Welcome to FT Advisors podcast series in association with Janice Henderson, looking at the components of multi-asset funds for clients. I'm Ellie Duncan, Features Editor of FT Advisor. Multi-asset fund managers are familiar with the benefits of being invested in a range of asset classes, rather than concentrating portfolio exposure in equities and bonds, both of which have become more highly correlated in recent years due to central bank policy. At the same time, investment firms have made alternative investments even easier for investors to access by offering exposure via open-ended funds, investment trusts and multi-asset strategies. While there has been increased interest in asset classes that come under the catch-all term alternatives, there may still be some confusion among advisors' clients. They may still want to know what alternatives are, whether there are any liquidity issues to consider, as well as what role alternatives can play in a diversified portfolio. An allocation to alternatives is a core part of investment portfolios now, but what are the risks to consider? James DeBunson, Portfolio Manager in Janice Henderson's UK-based multi-asset team, and Mike Coop, Head of Multi-Asset Portfolio Management at Morningstar Investment Management, are here to talk to us about alternative investments. James, let's start with you, please. What assets come under the term alternatives? Well, I'd sort of split it into alternative assets and alternative strategies. So alternative assets would be things like infrastructure, uh, property, even though it's relatively mainstream, commodities, private equity, um, Those are sort of some of the key ones. Then you can get some quite niche esoteric areas such as reinsurance, litigation funding, shipping funds. I mean, they really go into all sorts of quite niche areas uh, on the asset side. And then on the alternative strategy side, those would be things, sort of hedge fund type strategies or alternative usage funds, which might be investing in fairly mainstream traditional assets like equities, but um, a different kind of return stream because they are... They might be long and short equities, and that creates a sort of different uncorrelated return profile. Mike, is it fair to say then alternatives covers quite a wide range of asset classes? I think it's helpful to uh, understand what equities and bonds have in order to be able to then distinguish between things that parade themselves as alternatives and tend to be more expensive and less liquid, and those that can actually add something different. So for us, I mean, the defining feature of equities is you know, a, a cyclical income stream. You typically get your worst return from equities in recessions when the earnings fall heavily. Um, if you look at government bonds, they typically do quite well in the environment that's bad for equities and that recession environment because they have a coupon to get paid. And if it's downward pressure on inflation during a recession, then the value of that coupon, especially after inflation, starts to go up. So usually... A portfolio of government bonds and equities can be quite a good combination. There's a scenario in which both of them do badly, which is a rise in interest rates. So when we look at alternatives, we're looking for things that don't have the same characteristics of, of equities. And so the cash flows that behind an asset that aren't cyclical is pretty important. Um, and for other investments where there's an income stream that they're not effectively very sensitive to changes in inflation and interest rates. So that means from our point of view that as James mentioned, uh, there are certain more niche strategies that are better at diversifying portfolios, uh, and we would put reinsurance and, say, cap bonds into that category. Uh, we would also think about a very core type of infrastructure, so it's really the regulated assets that, that uh, aren't quite so exposed to the economy and demands going down, and within commodities, commodities that are less prone to the 
demand from industrial companies, so probably less of industrial metals like copper uh, and even energy subject to that. So you have to be a bit careful about how you're defining it. I think we would probably think about commercial real estate as, as a more kind of conventional asset um, rather than an alternative, and it's one that's you know been a long-standing feature of portfolios that you can access. Yes, James, uh, how would you use alternatives to create a sort of well-diversified portfolio? I think Mike's absolutely right. There are some alternatives that don't really give you too much in terms of diversification because they tend to do the same thing in a risk-off scenario, i.e. lose value. Um, but there are other things that have the potential to uh, to preserve capital quite well or even go up. And, um, and I think hedge funds, alternative uses, absolute return funds, have that in their toolkit to give you something different. So I think they're an important component of a, of a multi-asset uh, fund. The infrastructure uh, names that uh, I think Mike was alluding to, such as the Hickles and the International Public Partnerships, John Lang Infrastructure has just been bid for. You know, these are pretty rock-solid, uh, very long-term inflation-backed revenue streams. And, and all things being equal, it's, it's some of the characteristics similar to government bonds that people might retreat to and put, a, put an extra premium on those sorts of assets uh, in the event of a downturn um, because they don't have that cyclical, cyclicality about them. And, and how can advisors use alternatives to ensure their clients aren't overexposed to any one asset class? Mike? So perhaps I can just touch on a point James made about active strategies, because that's also mm-hmm. how we think of the delineation, the assets. We have cash flows that we have differently from equities and strategies that are different. Because in your portfolio, if you've got long-only equities and fixed income, you've already got some active management there. People using the research to pick stocks or decide which... Uh, part of the bond market to be in the duration, currency, and so forth. So for us, um, an active strategy to add something you know, it needs to be bringing something to the table in terms of shorting, i.e. exploiting things that are overpriced, uh, hedging in terms of reducing the downside. And there are certain things that you can get access to, like distressed debt investing, where done well, they can uh, create value by restructuring the business, uh, buying into the company at attractive levels. Um, and it's very difficult to get that type of uh, exposure in any other way. So we think it's really a case of, first of all, is the asset or strategy going to be diversifying? Secondly, is it priced appropriately? Do you get to keep a decent part of the return that's coming from that strategy? And the history of funds has been typically that the fees have been too high and, and they've evolved, the strategies have evolved from being higher risk, higher return strategies to being more institutional risk strategies, but the fee structures have stayed the same. So the challenge now is to find products where the fees mean that you get a decent share of the action. James, would you agree with that? Yes, I mean, alternatives tends to be an area where fees can be higher. I mean, I particularly point to private equity and some hedge fund strategies. Um, but both of those are big universes. Um, they have good managers in them and they have poor managers in them. And, you know, us as fund selectors, our job is to find those ones who, who really do add value over time. And, you know, we're always looking at net returns at the end of the day. Um, and if we find that those net returns are very attractive to, say, investing in the S&P through an ETF at five basis points, 
uh, we're willing to pay that much extra to get something different. Um, you know, in, in the Henderson Alternative Strategies Trust that, that I manage, we've got a, a very good hedge fund run by uh, BlackRock, um, which has given us 150% of, of equity ups, upside, uh, but with two-thirds of the volatility. Um, and that's the sort of thing we're willing to pay a bit, bit extra for. But you do have to keep a very close eye on, on costs because um, they tend to be at the more premium end of the market. I think in our experience, you know, you, you, you want to create a portfolio that's not overly reliant on any one manager or any one strategy. So we've tended to look for managers who have low net market exposures because we can pick that up pretty cheaply already um, and who uh, are doing something different from the other managers and are less exposed to all of the strategies performing poorly at the same time. So generally active management is exploiting trends and mispricing of securities, whether it's hedge funds, doing it on the long and short or the long only side. So the challenge is, is again, to bring something to the table that is going to diversify. You, you want a, a mix of managers, a mix of strategies, and you generally want low beta so that you're not paying those higher fees uh, on what is basically a market exposure you could get for a lot less. That's how we think about it. Now, say the word alternatives to some investors or to some advisors and their clients, and they might kind of associate this asset class with liquidity risk. Would they be right to do so, James? Um, well, the good thing is nowadays you have great choice of how you can access uh, these alternative asset classes. And um, an area we've seen particular growth, well, two areas, actually. I mean, the listed market, as you, I think you alluded to at the beginning, has seen an enormous growth in, in alternative strategies, um, particularly those that pay a nice income. So, um, you know, we've got some funds coming up to launch now with uh, to do with shipping leases, uh, music royalties we've seen recently. Um, you know, you can't access those in an open-ended fund and you shouldn't do because the liquidity is not there. So the investment trust wrapper is, is great for that. Um, so people moan about the fact that you then get variation from the, the net asset value, the discount or or the premium. But for active managers like ourselves, I, I actually think that's quite a nice facet because it means I can buy uh, very good assets, very good managers, at, you know, at a cheaper price than I otherwise might be. So, but you have to live with that that volatility, that extra price volatility. Um, and then the alternative use its asset space has, has exploded. You know, several hundred billion. Uh, money, uh, pounds worth of uh, AUM in that sort of area in these sort of absolute return funds, which again, some varying returns there. And I absolutely agree with Mike. No need to pay for you know just half of whatever you might get from investing in the market, um, but something genuinely differentiated that might be a merger arbitrage strategy that um, really is not dependent on what happens to the S and P or the FTSE. It's all about identifying. Uh, deals that are going to close and, and picking up a small premium for that. Um, so I think investors are, you know, have a much greater choice than they have even five years ago. And it's clearly one of the biggest growth areas. Um, and um, uh, yeah, we think it's it's a really exciting area to be to be involved in. Mike, do you think there are some liquidity risks just to be mindful of? I think there's a general point about liquidity, and we saw that uh, with what happened with open-ended commercial real estate funds in the wake of the referendum vote. So the general issue of liquidity isn't one that's specific to alternatives. It's just if your underlying asset takes a long time to sell, uh, then you can't expect to be able to to buy in and out of a fund or or structure 
easily. The investment company structure is really good as a way of dealing with that issue uh, because it does uh, break that link between investors redeeming and having to sell the asset that's held in the fund. Um, a lot of the uh, alternatives universe is really um, much less liquid uh, and a lot of the opportunities, the really good opportunities, are in a less liquid space. Uh, so you, you do need to be prepared to accept a, de a degree of less liquidity than you're used to if you really want to get you know, a major part of the benefits. Uh, but certainly the choice has widened up. Usage uh, do offer uh, the man in the street uh, access to a broader array of, of investments. However, the restrictions that apply to that, such as the, the, the liquidity underlying assets, the amount of leverage, concentration, do also make it difficult to apply the full spectrum of strategies that you tend to see in hedge funds. So that's one of the reasons why they tend to disappoint on the outcomes, because there's just less scope to add value. So I think if you're going to be serious about alternatives, you need to consider being able to take some liquidity risk. But can alternatives provide uh, an important source of income, do you think? Yeah, I, th I think, again, it's, you know, this growth in, in the alternatives world has, has seems to have been specifically focused at alternatives um, with, in with an income. And and that's because QE has crushed yields in, in mainstream bond markets and and even a lot of the equity markets, you know, particularly those equities that have sort of bond-like characteristics that appear to be safe and have very predictable revenues. Um and you can still get very attractive yields um, from these more alternative assets because they are a bit more niche um, and not so much capital's flown into them. Um, and yet, I, I wouldn't necessarily classify them as as riskier in in many respects. Um, they just tend to be either sector specific or uh, or yes, just less well known by by investors. I mean, an area where actually I think is not good value at the moment um, because there has been lots of more traditional capital flowing into what was a very alternative asset class is, is catastrophe bonds or reinsurance risk. And that's where you you get paid a coupon above above LIBOR for a year, perhaps, to take on the risk um, that a reinsurance company may have taken on, you know, that, that there might be a massive hurricane or an earthquake, for example. Um, so they're taking a little bit, getting a bit of the risk off their books. Um, but so much capital has flown into that area that uh, I don't think you're getting compensated for the risk because there really is no less risk that's going to be another massive hurricane this year, next year, than there was 10 years ago. But I was getting twice the return 10 years ago. So, um, But I still think, you know, that it's... Why would you restrict yourself to just equities and bonds uh, if you're an income investor when there's all these other places you can go to to get, get quite frankly, more attractive yields at the moment? Thank you both. There's lots to think about there. Thank you very much to James and Mike for their comments and insight. You can read more on multi-asset news at ftadvisor.com. And if you have any questions for our experts on multi-asset, let us know by tweeting at ftadvisor or emailing eleanor.duncan at ft.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. 
Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.